Digital Drift, episode 48, recorded Sunday the 21st of December 2014. Dramatic Readings. Here we go, are you ready for one other? Dream Warriors noise is new discover all. Once again with the new blend, so telephone a friend. Yo, Dreamwave's got this new song, it's dope, man. <laughs> back this to the prime is optimist. Fans are friends, I'm universal and cosmic. Concrete jungles abound. Stand by the speaker, you're smothered and covered up in the sound. You stand strong as you pump your fist. I'm talking all that jazz. Now what's my definition? Encouraged by the riotous appreciation of our bad reviews against humanity episodes, I've put together a collection of reading materials for a similarly competitive podcast game. For each of these pieces, the object is to read the text. Sorry. What the hell? <laughs> I've already failed without that's, laughing. That's me. <laughs> Not even a snort or a cough. If you do, narration passes across. Okay, you can cough. But if it's obviously a cough to disguise a laugh and we can sense that laugh, then narration passes across to the next player. The rest of us are, of course, allowed to laugh all we want. In fact, we are positively encouraged to put off the reader with questions and debate tangents concerning the story, which can, of course, be responded to by the reader, provided that they don't laugh in the response. Just bear in mind, we're next in line for the hot seat. So basically, you'll have to compose yourself to get into character, and you'll have to do it quickly. We've never attempted something like this before, and again, it might not it might devolve into chaos or not be funny at all. We shall see. And we have a variety. But if it's not funny at all, it's not going out. And we have a variety. So if you're hearing this now, it was funny. We have a variety of different works to get through, most of which our players will be unfamiliar with. With me is Sharon Shaw, my co-host. Good evening. Laura Kate Dale, now of Destructoid and the Jimquisition podcast, and hello. Indie Haven as well. Hello. Uh, hello. I do too many things on the internet, you do. apparently. Um, any other ones that I missed? Oh, God. Do you want the list of podcasts I do? <laughs> Just a quick one. Okay. The Indie Haven podcast, The Geek Night in, Oh No Video Games, Category Video Games, Laura's Gaming Butts, uh, the podquisition and possibly a new one with Destructoid, maybe that's being discussed. So How too many podcasts. S- when do you sleep? Um, never. <laughs> From Lou reads the internet. It's Lou Fernandez who I interviewed on Digital Gonzo one hundred fifty-five. Hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for coming back. No problem. Lauren Grieve returning after bad reviews against humanity. Hello. Derek Ritchie, returning after the Xbox One and PS4 cast, he of the console ninjas. Hello, everybody. Right. Now, before we start this, because I really wanted to get Lou on to the Bad Reviews Against Humanity episode, uh, the the third one that came out recently, uh, I think I I thought of it just at the last minute. I was like, do you know who'd be really great at reading these? And I asked him, and it was way too late, and you responded like we were halfway through. (laughs) And I'm so sorry about that. And so I sort of like tried to get you back on so that we could do another. But I don't want to do a whole show of it, but... I want to miss out on this opportunity. So what I've done is I've sent Lou just 10 reviews for him to read to us to warm us all up. All right. So, (laughs) all right. Review one. All the girls that find this series makes them wet down under will all die alone surrounded by cats. (laughs) (laughs) This is a one star review. 
It's one of the Twilight films, it has to be. Yeah, that's what I'm well, thinking. I was thinking, as well. I was thinking Fifty Shades of Grey. It was Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part One. <laughs> oh, you were oh, right. Very oh. harsh. Okay, this is a five star review. Do not judge this movie until you have seen it. I have not seen blank, but from the trailers, it looks real fat. (laughs) (laughs) Looks real fat with a pH. But all I am saying to the other people who review this movie is do not judge this movie until you see it. (laughs) He's made two grievous errors here. A, it's not fat. And B, he's judging it before he's seen it as well. So he's just as guilty. What's the film? Uh, this is uh, actually funny because uh, my wife loves this movie. It is uh, no, it is Soul Plane. <laughs> okay, next, uh, one star, and the review is: This is an Amazon verified purchase. Okay, not enough boobage. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I could have been Fifty Shades of Grey if it was out, but uh, dear, dear. Is, is that the whole review? Yes, yep. that is it. That is zero <laughs> oh, I assume that was the title. It's no, kind that of is... disturbing when you think about what the film actually is, though. Can I spoil it? Can I say what it is? This uh, this could be 99% of movies in True. Sure. <laughs> Everything that's not on Skinemax. Um, can I say what it is? Yeah, go ahead. It's Mean Girls. Oh. So not enough boobage on these high school girls. <laughs> Unless you're a high school boy. Even then. <laughs> Next. Okay. Um, okay, this is the first review is Heaven is for real. <laughs> and then the review is No, it isn't. One star. <laughs> <laughs> to the point. Yes. <laughs> How many dreams have been shattered by that review? He's not convinced. Uh, all right. So the next one is another one star review, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's just so whack. All that work and effort put into creating this movie and it still blows. <laughs> that, that could be so there's many a, things. There's a, there's a pun in it or sort of a, uh, <laughs> You think you don't think it was a? Pr- I don't think that pun? someone. I don't think this this person who would call this movie whack would make. But a he pun. says it still blows. Yeah, uh, go for I'm, it. I'm Anybody, reading into what, it. What, what blows, folks? Uh, Twister. Well, you're close. You're in Close. The sure. What's what's that one that there was a film out fairly recently that? This is not that. No, no, okay. <laughs> this is about the oldest film imaginable. Oh, yeah. It's waxed up. I agree with him on that. It's Gone with the Wind. Ah. Oh. Oh. Wait, okay, so then this is uh, the next one, which is another one-star review, uh, and, it, and it goes like this. I love my kids more than anything, so I recently sat through this with my eight- and four-and-a-half-year-olds, the whole thing. It left me wishing I had a vasectomy nine years ago. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take a stab in the dark at the worst children's films I can think of. Is it one of the Alvin and the Chipmunks films? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's, it's close though, isn't she? Uh, Lou, it is called Furry Vengeance, which I have, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. That could be Alvin and the Chipmunks Four. That's just, that just sounds wrong. <laughs> whatever it is, it's like the kid-friendly Gremlins. For goodness' sake. <laughs> uh, so this one, uh, another one star. But the title is, I just don't get it. Then it goes, I guess I just don't get it. What's so funny about this film? <laughs> is it is it meant to be a comedy or nope. is it a deadly serious nope. film? Yes. Okay. It's the best classic film ever. It's not something like Mandela or something like that, is it? Uh, so we get the wrong end of the stick. Uh, more uh, classic than I'll, that. I'll give you a clue. It's it's often touted as the f- the most significant or, or best film ever made, and it's, it's not Citizen the It is Citizen yes. Kane. Oh, <laughs> what is so funny about Citizen Kane? Uh, this one is one star, and the title is Puke. <laughs> and the review goes: the worst thing ever to be shown at the cinema. I puked in my pants <laughs> and had to go home naked. How did you manage that? I almost froze to death because I had to walk 20 miles. Don't watch this film. If not for your own sake, do it for me. So, did you say he puked in his pants? Yes. I presume he had I'm wondering of, about the logistics of that one. Did he have to stretch his waistband out before he vomited? Or? <laughs> That's kind of the question. Or did he mean he managed to get it into the pockets, which is impressive to say the least? <laughs> For a clue, it's a Scorsese film. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street? I mean, no, it's. I mean, this could go on forever. It's Casino. <laughs> For a start, Casino was out in the mid 90s. So this, this is a uh, person who's come back and gone, right, I've got to tell them about the whole puke pants moment. <laughs> just, and that's surely not the first thing you think about when you get home and your pants are full of puke, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Scorsese's fault. Presumably, you've, you've got to do something while your pants are in the wash. It's like, well, while they're washing, I might as well go write a review about how I vomited. Zach's my vengeance <laughs> upon him. Uh, so this is a two-star review. Captain Flip-Flops. <laughs> uh, that's the title. If my wife was as ugly as Captain Flip Flops, I'd go to see. Wait, is that no? Yeah, I'd go to see for six months too. Was Meg Ryan busy that day? I haven't seen this yet, but it's Captain Phillips. Um, oh. who's who's his wife in this? I don't know. Let me check. I didn't see that movie. It's not. Uh, I have children, so all I see is furry vengeance. <laughs> He seems to have judged that film very quickly just by the fact that Meg Ryan is, is his wife. Um, Catherine Keener. Oh, She's... you scumbag. Oh. Okay, um, and the last one is not a review. It's a, it's a lost... Uh, no, it's a found, actually. It's, it's a, a little... It's an animal that's been found. And, okay, so the title is Found Cat Snake. <laughs> <laughs> and it says uh, Found brackets assuming pet some sort of cat snake long and nimble but with dryish fur and cat teeth seems to like cat food but isn't a cat please come and take this off my hands it smells weird <laughs> is, is this a ferret or it's a ferret 
just, just having it described, you knew what it was. This person's never seen a ferret. I, I kind of prefer his name for it, though. Yes. I don't think it's so much better than just, I've got a ferret. No, it's a cat snake. Cat snake. I usually call them a cat shirts. snake. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Now, The Eye of Argon by Jim Thais. Now, this was published in 1970 in OSFAN, the Journal of the Ozark Science Fiction Society, issue 10. Photocopies, invariably with the last page missing, circulated for decades among science fiction fans, and it became a regular convention challenge to read the stories, mangled prose, with a straight face. Jim Thais himself, who was 16 when he wrote and submitted The Eye of Argon, died in 2002 at the age of 48. He will be long remembered in sci-fi fandom. So this is kind of, uh, as with all of the other readings uh, uh, in more recent years, a celebration of his, uh, his his one moment of glory of being able to pen out one of the worst fantasy fiction books of all time, which is actually, if you think about it, something of an achievement. If you watch, you know, so some of the worst movies of all time, this goes back to our Nanar episode. They're a rare and beautiful thing, and this is a celebration. We're not just being mean-spirited pricks. So, <laughs> what? You're going to get all the laugh out of me. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to go from, I think this is chapter two or part two. Arriving after dusk in Gorzom. Ow! <laughs> 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 I can't say that word! And it's four, five words! <clears throat> That's the first comma, though. That looks racist, but anyway. Okay, right, um, Sharon, you'll be able to do this better than me already. That's so rubbish! Can I try again? <laughs> yeah. Well, Just about one mulligan. Okay. Oh. Grigna descended down a dismal. It's a name. Grigna, the barbarian, descended down a dismal alley, reining his horse before a, <laughs> a beaten tavern. To wind back, are you sure Grigna's a name? Because there's no capital. Good point. Um, I think he gets mentioned later on I, I, in my oh. cursory edit. I it's think. it's capitalized later. Yeah, okay. This is going to be hard. A red-haired giant strode into the dimly lit... Huh. No. <laughs> God, this is so long and we can't get through this. Okay, right. I'm going to pass it to Sharon. So you go from hostelry. The red-haired giant strode into the dimly lit hostelry, reeking of foul odours and cheap wine. The air was heavy with shocking fumes spewing from smouldering torches encased within Theden's earth-packed walls. Tables were clustered with groups of drunken thieves and cutthroats tossing dice or making love to willing <coughs> prostitutes. Uh, uh, uh. Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grignir advanced, wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. I, I very much doubt that he wishes to wholesomely occupy his time, to be fair. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice. Yes. Different kinds of shafts. Her stringy orchid <laughs> twines of hair swaying gracefully over the live, opaque nose. Nose? Nose? If your nose is not opaque, something is very, very wrong. And is orchid a colour? I'm not sure. I think in this context it might be. Also, a, a lithe nose. What did she... Okay. Maybe she's like that character from Bewitched and she could twitch it really well. Maybe, yes. Mm. 
as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red lips. Glancing upward, the alluring complexion noted the stalwart giant. So only her complexion noted him, not the rest of her, (laughs) as he rapidly approached. A faint glimmer sparked from the pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned towards Grignir, enticing him to join her. (laughs) The barbarian seated himself. (laughs) That's all. There it is. (laughs) She cracked. Okay, right. So the next person is Lauren. All right. Just from the last word Sharon reached, otherwise we'll be here forever. Yeah. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, exposing his body, naked save for a loincloth brandishing a long steel broadsword, an iron spiraled battle helmet, and a thick leather sandals to her unobstructed view. Oh, good at this. Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian? questioned the female. Only if something worth <laughs> offering is within my reach, stated Grignir as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female who welcomed them with open willingness. <sighs> From where do you come, barbarian, and by what are you called? Gasped the complying wench. Gasp the complying wench. It was capitalized, I thought it was her name. As Grignir. <laughs> of character called Gasped. That's why I said Gasped. I was... Gasped. As Grignir smouldered her lips with the blazing smothered. touch. Smothered his lip. Her, her lips. Lip. As Grignir smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive female, pulling oh. her towards him and crushing her sagging nipples. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the inquisitive female? That's what I want to know. What's she asking? She's <laughs> asking why her nipples are sagging. I believe you're going from sagging nipples. Okay. Sagging nipples to his yearning chest. Without struggle, she gave in winding her soft arms around the harshly bronzed hide of Grignir corded shoulder blades as his calloused hands caressed her far, firm protruding busts. Hang on, they were sagging they... before. <laughs> just the nipples. Just the nipples. Gravity shouldn't work like that. But anyway. <laughs> oh, you, you make love well, wench, admitted Grignir as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. That applying, was quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> applying foot caught the mug Grigner had taken hold of, sending its blood-red contents sloshing over the flickering crescent, leashing tongues of bright orange flame to the foot-trodden floor. What else is going to tread a floor other than feet? Um, remove yourself, Syrah. The wench belongs to me, blabbered a drunk soldier, too, too far consumed by the influences of his virile brew to take note of the superior side of his adversary. His, his virile brew? What? That's a, what's a brew doing to him? That's what I want to know. It's making him virile. <laughs> Grignir lithely bounded from the startled female. His face lit up to an ashen red ferocity and lights... L- no, I... Ashen red? <laughs> ashen red. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm gone, okay. sorry. Uh, that would be Lou next. Uh, uh, okay. You were from Ashen Red Ferocity. Okay, his face lit up to an ashen red ferocity and eyes locked in a searing feral blaze towards the swaying soldier. To hell with you, braggart! 
bellowed the angered Encordian as he hefted his finely honed broadsword. The staggering soldier clumsily reached towards the pommel of his dangling sword, but before his hands ever touched the oaken hilt, a silvered flash was slicing the heavy air. The fuse of the savage's slashing right arm bulged from the glistening bronzed hide as his blade bit deeply into the soldier's neck, lopping off the confused head of his senseless tormentor. See, Lou does with, this professionally. You <laughs> could do this without laughing all day. With a nauseating thud, the, several, the severed opal toppled oh. to the floor. Oval, sorry. That's so with weird. With a nauseating so thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor as a segregated torso of Gring, Grignir's bovine antagonist swayed, <laughs> then, collapsed, <laughs> then collapsed in a pool of swirled so, crimson. Someone, so, someone wrote this with a thesaurus. They so, did, so he's got an oval head, but a bovine body. That's That doesn't make sense. <laughs> In the confusion, the soldier's fellows confronted Grigner with unsheathed cutlasses directed toward the latter's scowling makeup. The slut should have picked his quarry more carefully, roared the victor in a mocking baritone growl as he wiped his dripping blade on the prostrate form and returned it to its scabbard. The fool should have shown more prudence. However, you shall rue your actions while rotting in the pits, stated one of the sprawled soldier's comrades. Grigner's hand began to remove his blade from the leather housing, but retarded the motion in face of the blades waving before his face. Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian, or you shall find a foot of steel sheathed in your gizzard. (laughs) Grigner weighed his position, observing his plight. Whereupon he took the soldier's advice as the only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring upon his own demise if an alternate path presented itself. The will of... (laughs) 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 Broke! But you did very well there. That's uh, That was truly professional (laughs) stuff, Lou. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Derek. Okay. So... The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in the hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors in which he could effect the more plausible means of escape. I'd and just break. like to point out that doesn't say carelessness, it says carelessness. So, <laughs> so if they are without transport at some point, then he's fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very modern tavern, I think you'll find these days. Um, you may steady your arms, I will go without a struggle. Do the voice. Your decision is a wise one, yet perhaps you would have been better off had you forced death. The soldier's mouth wrinkled to a sadistic grin of knowing mirth as he prodded his prisoner with the sword point. Here they are. Here they are. There's roar. There's no roar. <laughs> it's from Shrek 4. I think, was that a laugh? That was a laugh from me. That was a laugh okay. from me. I scrolled down and I saw those pictures. <laughs> the pictures oh, yeah. I think those amazing. are drawn by him. Uh, After an indiscriminate period of marching through slinking alleyways and dim moonlighted streets, the procession confronted a massive Sergiglio. Sergiglio? Sergiglio? I don't know. One of those. Uh, Pick as you like. The palace area was surrounded by an iron grating with a lush garden upon all sides. The group admitted through the gilted gateway and Grigner was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation lustfully enhanced by the moon's shimmering rays. After reaching the palace, the group was granted entrance and after several minutes of explanation led through several winding corridors to a richly draped chamber. And then we have a very fetching picture of... Being the Merciless. 
thinking it looks a bit like Doctor Strange, but yeah, he so doesn't appear to have any eyeballs. He, no, he, yes. he is blind. He has a Ming the Merciless moustache, but he has a very coiffed hairdo as well, and yeah. possibly the largest collar known to mankind. <laughs> uh, it's fair, fair play, if you can carry it off. I think uh, his yes. chin's literally pointed, too. His face is like three feet long. Uh, Derek, because you're doing really quite well here, can you scroll all the way down to three? Up to the altar and be done with it, wench, ordered a fidgeting shaman as he gave the female a grim stare accompanied by the wrinkling of his lips to a mirthful grin of delight. The girl burst into a slow, steady whimper, stooping shakily to her knees and cringing woefully from the priest with both arms wound snake-like around the bulging g I think that's a laugh. Her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears spouting from her glassy, dilated eyeballs. With short, heavy footfalls, the priest approached the female, his piercing stare never wavering from her quivering young countenance. Halting before the terrified girl, he projected his arm outwards and motioned her to arise with an upward movement. See, this is before the Conan movie even came out. <laughs> upward movement. Of- this guy was like, he could see the future. The upward movement of the- his hand. The girl whimpered increasingly, slightly, and she sunk closer to the floor rather than arising. The flickering torches outlined her trim build with a weird ornate glow as it cast a ghostly shadow dancing in horrid waves of splendor over the smoothly bored <laughs> whiteness of the marble hewn altar. The shaman's lips curled back further, exposing a set of blackened, decaying molars which transformed his slovenly grin into a wide, greasy arc of sadistic mirth and alternatively interposed into the female a strong sensation of stomach-curdling nausea. Have it as you will, female, gloated the enhanced priest as she bent over at the waist, projecting his ape-like arms forward across the <laughs> slender arms with his hairy round fists with an inward surge of his bi- silence with an inward surge of his biceps he harshly jerked the trembling girl to her feet and smothered her salty wet cheeks with the mouldy touch of his decrepit dull word lips the the shaman's hot fetid breath overcame the nauseated female with a deep soul-searing sickness causing her to wrench her head backwards and regurgitate a slimy orange-white stream of swelling gore over the richly purple robe of the infused acolyte. The priest's lips trembled with a malicious rage as he removed the callous paws from the girl's arms and replaced them with tightly around her undulating neck, shaking her violently to and fro. The girl gasped a terrified, tortured groan from her clamped lungs, her sea-blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets, cocking her right foot backwards as she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon-possessed, lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's (laughs) testicles. The stomach released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, over looking his recessed belly wide open in a deep chasm, his face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson eyelids fluttering wide, with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered partly about, allowing an agonized wallow to gush forth from his breath, billowing from burning lungs! His hands reached out, clutching his urinary gland as his knee, his knee <laughs> oh. about knuckle, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg, huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony. Can, can I just ask, what does anyone else have an idea what this guy looks like? Because right now he's somewhere between King Kong and an egg, and I'm not sure... <laughs> <laughs> Don't sure forget that he's true. also he's, he's also bovine with an oval head. Oh, just <laughs> that was the half cow man oh, god from before. Let's move on to Barbie, um. shall we? <laughs> that's what you lead on with yes I think uh, well, we'll leave that basically horrible scene there most of the book seems to be something along those lines I, can but, I just yep that, there's a, a 
paragraph almost immediately after this that is very confusing. Oh, yeah. It says, Grignir slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small opaque object beneath the folds of the G-string wrapped <laughs> about his waist. A G-string doesn't have any folds. You couldn't conceal anything in it if you tried. <laughs> so he's, a, he's a fairly modern gentleman, apparently, if you Could wear you G-string to the boner. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't get clothes, evidently. Right, right. okay. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Barbie. I can be a computer engineer. Now, this got a lot of flack on the internet recently, and uh, if you haven't heard why, you'll find out why. If you have heard why, we're basically just going to try and read through as uh, solemnly as possible. Now, I've just gone twice, so I think if I pass over to Sharon... So this is Barbie, I Can Be a Computer Engineer, which apparently is two books in one and contains over 50 stickers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The other side is uh, I can be an actress, which apparently is upside down when you're reading this side. So it looks like you're so stupid you're reading the book upside down. Mm. I should point out, I am a computer engineer at this point, so this could be particularly offensive to me. Uh, Excellent. If you're a a computer engineer, if you're (laughs) a woman, if you're a human being, this should be offensive to you. If you you like, Derek, you (laughs) can explain what the book gets wrong to my poor defenseless female brain. (laughs) Okay. At breakfast one morning, Barbie is already hard at work on her laptop. What are you doing, Barbie? asks Skipper. Skipper, Skipper, I believe, is Barbie's younger sister. Yeah. I'm designing a game that shows kids how computers work, explains Barbie. Can you do the voice? (laughs) (laughs) Neither are. Neither are. I'm designing a game that shows kids how computers work, explains Barbie. You can make a robot puppy do cute tricks by matching up colored blocks. Your robot puppy is so sweet, says Skipper. Can I play your game? I'm only creating uh, this. That? That's a laugh. Unless what? was that, no, no, no. Uh, was that an this acting is laugh? Barbie says laughing. Oh, right, sorry. Ah. Oh, good point, yep. <laughs> I'm only creating the game design, Barbie says laughing. The design need, ideas. The design ideas. I'll need Stephen and Brian's help to turn it into a real game. <laughs> okay. Uh, Barbie tries to email her design to Stephen, but suddenly her screen starts blinking. That's weird, says Barbie. (laughs) Barbie and Skipper try to reboot the computer, but nothing happens. Presumably because they just picked it up and shook it up and down like an Etch-a-Sketch, which, in my experience, rarely works, unless you're on an iPad. The files are in the computer. (laughs) See, I should point out at this point, normally for an IT help desk, we just say, have you actually got the computer plugged into the monitor at this point? Did you try turning it off and on? I was (laughs) going to. They did did try to do that. Okay. Looks like you've got a virus, big sister, says Skipper. You know you can get some antibiotics for that. Yeah. Luckily, I wear my flash drive on a necklace, so I'll always remember to back up my work, replies Barbie. See, I thought this would be a lot funnier than it is. It's just making me angry. It's just depressing. <laughs> well, it depends how big the flash drive is, to be fair. If it's one of those chunky ones, it's quite a necklace she's wearing. <laughs> May I borrow your laptop, Skipper? Asks Barbie as she follows her little sister into her bedroom. I really should finish my homework assignment. I'm writing about a person I admire, says Skipper. Mm. I only need it for a minute, adds Barbie. Okay, says the Skipper. When Barbie puts her flash drive into Skipper's laptop... 
It's just a picture that I'm laughing at. <laughs> I've never no, seen... don't <laughs> touch it! Bending forwards protectively over the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> She's literally there hugging the laptop. Oh, God, no. Hang on, Lara. Sh- Sharon, did you just laugh? I laughed. You did. We right. are going to have to move this one on to Laura. Well right? done, Derek. You, you broke her. <laughs> Lauren, you're next. Where were we at? The uh, uh, When Barbie guess, puts her flash drive. Okay. When Barbie puts her flash drive into Skipper's laptop, the screen starts blinking. Oh no, says Barbie. The virus must be on the flash drive. <laughs> I forgot to back up my homework assignment, cries Skipper. And all my music files are lost, too. Now, I just want to point out, if you're going around putting your flash drive in random slots like this, you're going to get a virus. <laughs> Did you mean that the way it came out there, or was that just... Oh, God. I'm oh, so I love Bobby's tactics at this point. She's so responsible for her mistakes. Always. I'm so sorry, Skipper, says Barbie. I have to run off to school now, but I promise to find a way to fix your laptop. Chase you- it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you get it on that one. <laughs> I just imagine Barbie running away like Zoidberg. <laughs> Which is already the right colour, to be fair. Um, Laura, you you better, says Skipper. Okay. You better, says Skipper. Skipper replies as she playfully hit Barbie with a pillow. Are they going to have a pillow fight just after Barbie has recklessly removed all of Skipper's data from her laptop? To be fair, so, yeah, she's, that's how computer programming works. Exactly. She's not serious. It's like, I just need to hit you with a pillow. Okay, all my computer yeah. problems are solved now. That's how all, all I can see. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, if I could have gone down to all my users and just smacked them with a pillow after they did something <laughs> stupid, the world would have been a much better place for me. <laughs> Playfully, of course. Play, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you. You just destroyed my computer. But they've really nailed what sisters are like, haven't they? Sisters. Speaking of somebody who both is a sister and has one, no, they have not. (laughs) I nearly bounced my sister's head off a marble fireplace once and threw a hairbrush at her, but I've never hit her playfully with a pillow. Well, she bit you on the bottom. It's It's less pillow fight, more smothering. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Yeah, distinctly more vicious than that. Sorry, Laura. But we love each other despite the violence. But we do now. Oh, of we course. <laughs> right. Barbie makes it to computer class just before the bell rings. As soon as class begins, Barbie raises her hand. <laughs> yes, Barbie? Asks Mrs. Smith, the teacher. If your computer gets a virus and catches... Do the voice. Do the voice. If, if, sorry, Ms. Oh, Ms. Ms. Yeah. If your computer gets a virus and crashes, how can you retrieve all the files you lost? Asks Barbie. There's a well, right answer to this and a wrong answer to this, and I don't think it's going to be the right answer. Yeah, I wonder which one we're going to get. Well, first you remove the hard drive from the crashed computer, explains Miss Smith. According and to the clock was- on the wall, by the way, it's just it's ten minutes past ten. What kind of school is this? The class just started. She's in college. Oh, right, right. So yeah. that's, just yeah. check, just turn up when you feel like it. I like to tell you, it sounded as if you knew exactly that as a fact, Lou. That, that was the best bit of this. It's just yeah. obvious. She's got a very rich backstory. I just happen to follow her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what, what are we doing after we take the uh, the hard drive out the crashed computer? Um, and then you hook it up to another computer. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's a bad idea, Barbie. Well, we're, we're about to we're about to you know see why that's a bad idea. 
But won't the other computer get the same virus that made your computer crash? Asks Barbie. Not if the computer has good security software installed, says Miss Smith. And good if security it software doesn't. <laughs> good security software protects your computer from catching a virus. Now that's, that's at least true. That is, but it's a bit it's late. Let's be honest. <laughs> I was going to say, if it's on the hard drive, surely the security software can't get into the hard drive if yeah because no, this isn't talking brain's... about a us yeah oh. it's not talking about a usb drive it's like the way they're showing it is like yeah let's take the whole hard drive out of this laptop and just put it operating system and all into a new one also look at the desk and where her knees are in relation to her body and that kid at the back with the stripy shirt and the collar up staring out the window not taking in a word being just He's one of the men. He doesn't need this class. Am I I right in thinking, and for people at home, there's a kid to the right-hand side of Barbie in a red shirt with what looks like a flame on it, and he appears to be holding up his camera phone pointing at Barbie as if he's basically taking a picture of her. He's he's posting a video of a stupid conversation. (laughs) 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 On YouTube, imagine what they're just saying. WTF! Question the idiots in my computer class keep asking. This the que- oh. this question could have easily just gone. Well, you just take it to the genius bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After class, Barbie meets with Stephen and Brian in the library. The fabled Hi- Brian. The fabled Stephen and Brian. Hi guys, says Barbie. I tried to send you my designs, but I ended up crashing my laptop. And Skipper's too. I need to get back the lost files and repair both of our laptops. <sighs> Goodness me. This is how we computer programmer, folks. No, this is is the best part. I've been looking forward to this. It will go better. It will go faster if Brian and I help. Stephen. (laughs) Brilliant. Great, says Barbie. Stephen, can you hook Skipper's hard drive up to the library's computer? What? Sure, says Stephen. It's just so sick and pestilent. Let's just because the library will enjoy you doing that, won't they? (laughs) Hmm. The library computer has excellent security software to protect it. Is that a that's like a Dreamcast behind the computer, right? Or like, a GameCube. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> oh my god. Or a GameCube, maybe? Yeah. Well, the, the bit I don't understand is there's like three laptops, one screen, a Dreamcast, but there's only one mouse. And it's, and, <laughs> well, why does the the laptops have trackpads, so that's true, but and she's got Why does the black guy have an anodized pink laptop? Very strange choice. It's, it's, gotta be it's, it's one like, of right, it's one of Barbie's laptops. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it to them. <laughs> okay. I hope so. How can Barbie isn't towering over them? She should be nine feet tall. Okay. Uh, Continue. I've got Skipper's assignment back from the hard drive. Oh no, sorry, that that was Stephen. Yes. I've uh, got Skipper's assignment back from the hard drive. Exclaims Stephen. Fantastic, says Barbie. And her other files as well. I've got everything, says Stephen. Now let's retrieve the files from your hard drive. Both laptops just, will be good uh, for you in no time. The was picture, that a laugh? The, the picture says that it That might have been a laugh. <laughs> I want you to describe the picture though, Lou, because that's, oh. that's harmony right there. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory meet in a wonderful high five as Barbie <laughs> high fives Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Overjoyed at God. the data retrieval. Okay. Uh, the next morning, Barbie gives her sister a big surprise. <laughs> Skipper turns on her laptop, and it works! My 
I lost the segment, cries Skipper. You are just too cool. Barbie, you fixed my computer and saved my homework. Skipper gives Barbie a big hug. And Barbie says, I sure did. Yeah, Barbie she did neither of those. for it. So, so yeah, she basically, the, the moral of the story is how to fix computers is to go and ask two guys in your school to do it for you. Oh. And then take credit for it. That is yeah. like, yeah. I mean, this is like the layer upon layer of reasons why everyone was kicking off about this. But I, it does teach you one life lesson, which is to make sure that you find someone else to do the work and then take all the credit for it. Yep. Which At is school. what I guess the person who wrote this book did. Yes. <laughs> you mean you mean Barbie? Yeah, yeah, Barbie. Yes. Of course. Yeah, uh, this <laughs> so, all right. This is so Barbie, school, absolutely true. In 1992, there was a Barbie that said, "When you like the first speaking Barbie, you press a little yeah, button on its back. Yeah. One of yep, one of the phrases yeah, was math is hard. Well, it is. It is. She's <laughs> right, but she said it in a way that implies if something's hard to do, it's not worth doing. <sighs> I, including I, taking responsibility for your shitty mistakes. All right, so at school, Skipper presents her assignment to the class. Hi, everybody. She says, The person I admired most is Barbie. A great sister and a great computer engineer. Anyway. She wants to get really serious there. Everyone is impressed by Skipper's presentation. Can I just point out, like, when she made this presentation, Barbie hadn't yet fixed her computer. How is it a presentation about how good a computer engineer she is? She hasn't yet done anything. Lou might be able to help us because he's really uh, steeped in the canon, but still, <laughs> it's like, the future. She knew it was going to be okay. That's why she was just hitting her with a pillow instead of screaming. Or smothering. <laughs> well, Bob uh, assured her it would be fine. Also, in this uh, PowerPoint presentation that's on the screen in Skipper's class, it's basically a photo of Skipper and a photo of Barbie with a bunch of text, which is like a very self-centered presentation. The best bit is, it's a Barbie signature. It's not just the name Barbie, she's obviously gone somewhere and in a bit of weird fiction meets reality, she's got the same signature that's on the toys. But on the next page, Ms. What's her name? Ms. Smith also has that signature, so it's like she like she loves Barbie so much, she writes her name in the same way Barbie writes her signature in the pink pen. Well, no, Again, this goes back to the canon here because you know it's just like people who have hyphens in their name that's pronounced dash. Barbie's name is in that font with that color, and it's wrong if you do it in a different way. It's very disgraceful. Maybe she just gave Miss Smith a stamp at the beginning of the year and just said, "Yeah, just put this on every single assignment I have. When you know when you're marking me, you'll need this. Boom. And if you don't, I will be so upset with you." But Miss Smith doesn't look like much of a better computer engineer in that next page either, because it looks like she's written Barbie's name using a toothbrush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a screwdriver, possibly. If I was, if it was that way, I kind of wish I was had the foresight to bake my own brand and then take it into school. So I said, no, all my school ports are branded with this signature. Nice. And if you don't do it, I'm going to come at you. <laughs> with a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> a screwdriver. Miss Smith took that off her and said, we, we'll, we'll be taking that from you. So, all right. So the last photo is... Uh, this yeah, actually happened, folks. Yeah. Uh, at computer class, Barbie presented the game she designed. Miss Smith is so impressed that she gives Barbara Barbie extra credit. Oh, bro, that's her actual name. She's Barbie's, so yeah, I didn't mean to be formal. Uh, Barbie's <laughs> terrific computer skills have saved the day for both sisters. But they're not. She, oh, even though she didn't do anything. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she and 
I guess I can be a computer engineer, says Barbie happily while she holds her sparkling computer. With possibly the worst picture known to man drawn on it. It She might be the dog. She might be a computer engineer, but she ain't no artist. I'm just saying that. That's, That's What is on the teacher's desk? Is that a, <laughs> a stereo component or something? <laughs> there is so much wrong with this book. I think you, know, you search the internet for, for more, obviously, on why this is. We've given you the general gist. But, um, yeah, this is shocking stuff, folks. That is... Oh, and also because I do computing, it's just I'm looking at that going... I'm going to feel really bad for anybody that goes into a computer science class and says, so all I need to do is fix somebody's PC and get those guys to do it and I'm a computer engineer. No, no, you're not. <laughs> Screw you, Barbie. Can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm so nervous. Can't relax. Can't sleep. Fed on fire. Don't touch me. I'm a real life wife. Okay, so uh, next one we'll do is uh, let's do another day at the office. Now, this was the beginning of a movie script that a longtime friend of mine named Thomas Underhill was writing back in 2007. Though it was intended to be a black comedy, it ends up being an entirely different kind of funny, with the room levels of Nanar being achieved. One of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century is that Tom did not press on with this. Had someone bankrolled its production, the greatest and worst movie of all time could have been made. We're reading this now out of fond reverence to Tom and all the silly things we wrote when we were younger and less wise. And I will add that I made a uh, studenty type film around this point, which was about as bad. Only we actually filmed the thing, and I kind of wish I'd filmed this instead, because um, this, this is even better worse, if you get my drift. <laughs> right. So yeah, Derek, it needs to be you. Oh, good. Okay. Right, so basically this is like script direction here. Yeah. And uh, there are going to be a couple of typos. You're going to have to read it verbatim because those were, those were preserved from the original text. Okay. Is everybody ready? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. The hotel room is brightly lit and everything suggests that the room is in a very expensive hotel. Sitting on a king-size bed is the man. He is something of an enigma. He is 33. His long black hair is tied into a ponytail. A pair of dark sunglasses hide his eyes. He is wearing a black silk shirt with a maroon silk tie and a long leather jacket. He is clean shaven and on his lap is a briefcase. Is it, this, is his, this is speech. This is it Neil? Out of, no, okay. Nope. Um, <laughs> it has come to be believed that prostitution... <laughs> okay, so I think it's me next. It has come to be believed that prostitution is the oldest profession in the world. I have no evidence to suggest that this is not so. However, I do believe that my job must rank as the second oldest. You only know us by our deeds, and you only know our faces when we screw up or are made escape goats. (laughs) The man removes his sunglasses and lies back, rubbing his eyes. Some of our less successful brethren include Marcus Julius Brutus, Mark David Chapman, and Lee Harvey Oswald. You know their names, you know their crimes, and because of this, they are shining examples of what not to do in my trade. 
anonymity is the key when you are an assassin. Oh, and in answer to your next two questions, yes, I remember my first kill, and I learned my skills from my father. <laughs> Flashback, interior, suburban home, night. A happy family scene is before us. Mother, grandmother, gr- <laughs> Sharon! Sharon! Sharon, go! Grandfather, the young man and his girlfriend, Jess. They are all seated around a dining table, chatting away, but one obvious place is missing. The mother says, with a hint of concern and anger, Oh, I wonder where your father's got to. He knew we were sitting down to eat at 7.30 and it's now nearly 8. I'm sure he'll be home soon, Mum. Anyway, Jess and I are planning to go out tomorrow night, if that's okay with you. The mother looks across at Jess, a very petite young lady. She has short-cut black hair with a red and blue stake in it. She has a visible nose ring and looks about the same age as her son. What's an invisible nose ring? Before the mother can answer the question, the phone starts to ring. That's probably Dad now. I'll get it. Okay, dear, but do tell him to hurry up. Yes, mother. Hello? He picks up the ringing phone. He said hello before he picked <laughs> Yeah, we noticed that too. This is what was written. Cut to police station. Amongst the hustle and bustle of a busy police station, we see the young man's father on the phone. Happy birthday, son. Look, don't say a word, but something's come up and I won't be able to make it back tonight. Tell your mother I love her. And then I hope you do your father proud someday. The father then looks around before carrying on. That fucking bastard Sir Winston Parker Broadbent just fucking set me up. My career is as good as over. Remember, once you've been arrested, you're no good to anyone. Bye, son. See you soon, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, indeed. The young man still has the phone to his ear, but his face shows that he is angry, confused and upset right before we carry on sharon you you laughed yourself silly this morning over this so you've pretty much you're spent and you're not gonna break so if we pass this next one on to lauren oh geez fade to a church graveyard a wet and windy day the typical funeral is in progress with mourners all dressed in black huddling together under umbrellas the vicar is just finishing ashes to ashes dust to dust amen As the coffin is lowered into the ground, the funeral party starts to file past, either throwing in flowers or dirt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit harsh. (laughs) As is tradition. A large, well-built man stops to talk to the mother and the young man. This gentleman is Nick One Thumb Cox. He shakes (laughs) the mother warm. My dearest. No, no, no. You've got to be Cockney for this one. You've got to be like Jason Statham. Oh, God, I don't know if I can do that. Try. Uh, my dearest sympathies, madam. Deepest. My deepest sympathies, madam. I seriously don't think I can do a Cockney accent. Try it. My deepest sympathies, madam. There you go. Do it my like name. Bert in Mary Poppins. My deepest sympathies, <laughs> madam. Oh, the American <laughs> British, then. <laughs> my deepest sympathies, madam. <laughs> my is Nicholas Cox. My friends call me One Thumb. <laughs> He holds up his hands, and we see that he has only one thumb. (laughs) I was a business associate of your late husband. He was a consummate professional, and his talents will surely be missed. Chim chimney, chim chimney. Chim chim cheree. The mother, holding back tears, manages a weak smile and a nod of the head. 
as opposed to another body part. Nick then turns to the young man and places a hand on his shoulders before continuing. A hand on his shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) One big hand. With only one thumb. thumb. (laughs) You look every in... Oh, wait. You look every inch like your father, young man. You'll do him proud one day. You've changed. Nick gives the young man a hug and slips a small card into his pocket, breaks the hug, and gives him a playful slap in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think you went there, didn't you? (laughs) Thank you, sir. Your words are very kind. Do me a favor, son. Call me Uncle Nick from now on. (laughs) Nick walks off. Cut to interior hotel lobby day. It is a large bit. Is it, is it, ugh, it, is a, it is a large, busy, expensive hotel lobby somewhere in the southern untied states. <laughs> the doors of one of the lifts opens up and a number of people step out, including the man. We notice he is clean shaven and has his hair tied back. He is wearing a shirt, tie, smart looking trousers, long leather coat and sunglasses. He's also carrying a large briefcase. Still. He takes... Yep. He takes a quick look around as if choosing where to go first before walking over to the reception desk. On the reception, this particular day is Lucy. Oh, yeah. On the reception, this particular day is Lucy, a young lady. She is wearing a name badge with her name and the words trainee receptionist. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, sir. It's trainee spelled T-R-A-I-N-Y, implying she has the properties of a train. Yes. Hello, sir. How can I help you today? The man Your voice. Repeats. She's oh, like a sorry. type girl. Hello, sir. How can I help you today? Oh, no, she's Southern. So, <laughs> hello, sir. How can I help you today? Very good. The man removes his sunglasses, leans forwards, and reads her name badge. Well, Lucy, I'm staying in room number 1666, <laughs> and I was wondering if the motorbike that my friend delivered for me has arrived yet. I'd be very grateful if you could find out. Certainly, sir. Lucy disappears for a moment and returns with three keys on a Harley Davidson key ring. There is also a piece of paper attached to them. Lucy is looking at it as she returns. Here they are, but before I hand them over, I need to ask you a security question on this piece of paper. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. What is the make of the car you drive at home? That would be a Canardly Rolls. <laughs> Oh, what? I don't even know what that is. I don't know. Lucy nods as she hands over the keys. She shakes her head and looks a little worried. The man, seeing how worried Lucy is, yeah, great car on hills. It can hardly get up them. And at the top, it just rolls back down. Lucy looks blank for a second, then starts to giggle. (laughs) Oh, I I get it now. (laughs) Trying to control her giggles, she she regains her composure. Is that all, sir? No, I don't suppose you can tell me where I can find something to eat, please. If this was actually a film, he would be standing in front of an enormous restaurant doorway, by the way. I just... He could surely get a better car than one that hardly gets up a hill then goes all the way back down it again. I I think... I think that's a joke. I don't get it, because I'm very slow. (laughs) I don't think... No one gets it. It's a terrible joke. It doesn't make any sense. So... 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. his it, secret codes as pickup lines, basically. Well, but it can can hardly roll, so it can hardly roll. Ah. Ah. It can hardly get up the hill, and then it rolls back down. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Lucy says, I certainly can, sir, just over there in the restaurant. Pointing. Our world-famous all-you-can-eat breakfast is only $10 per head and running for another half hour. Thank you very much, Lucy. Have a nice day, sir. The man puts on his sunglasses. The man puts his sunglasses back on, turns around, and then walks towards the restaurant. Interior, a busy hotel restaurant. The people are a mixture of businessmen and tourists. Waiters and waitresses are bustling around with jugs of fresh juices and pots of fresh tea and coffee. We see chefs making waffles and pancakes to order. We can see hot lights with sausage, bacon, mushrooms, tomatoes, beans, and other hot foods. Okay, that's a full English breakfast. It's not what they serve in, in these world-famous breakfast beans. buffets in the South. And if it's going to be world-famous, it's going to be more than just your standard greasy spoon <laughs> cafe. It sounds like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it sounds quite tempting. Also. Hot lights. Hot, 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 hot lights. Dry and horrible. Um, but carry on. We can also see tables of fresh fruit and cereal. The man wanders around to the buffet and finally sits down with a huge plate of food to relax. Because that's what hitmen eat. Just enormous fry-ups. <laughs> I don't even know what he's got. It could be anything. It could have mixed all of them. <laughs> a few and mixed more... sausage. You can't kill an empty stomach. <laughs> no, that's true. true. Everyone needs a whole load of food. Sharon said this morning that basically to make it this world famous, it would have to be like that ninja that uh, tries to kill Bond and you only live twice. They would have to literally serve you your breakfast while you're still in bed and basically like creep into the rafters and then just drop lightly buttered bits of kipper into your mouth <laughs> from above while you're breathing in the right direction and then you wake up and you're full. That's basically it. They serve you via ninja. That's the only way it could be that famous. <laughs> Oh, that. Maybe it should just be the International House of Assassins. <laughs> it's like the International House of Pancakes, but slightly darker. Um, okay, can I get you anything to drink, sir? We have a tea, coffee, or juice. One large coffee, please. Again, interjection, if you've ever been to a breakfast buffet, where's the juice? At the buffet? Yes! You don't have to have waiters coming around. In fact, I think they might bring you coffee, but they would literally just be... They would have coffee right there. They wouldn't ask you the question, do you want coffee? No. Well, no, that's true. Yours order at the at the front, don't this you? This is the weird that's thing, true. though. He's writing an assassin story. Most of this is about breakfast. <laughs> well, so far, he has not killed anybody, and he doesn't look as if he's that inclined to kill anybody either. He just wants... An he's ice- working on his own arteries. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's killing himself pretty slowly. It's the best thing to Killing it softly with pancakes. This is <laughs> his secret method. He, he plants fry-ups on you for 50 years, and then you just keel over and die. And he goes and claims his bounty. I'll do this job for you. But I need unlimited breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) I have have a Harley Davidson as well. (laughs) That's true. And uh, can uh, cannot roll car. Can only rumbles a maiden. Hardly. As the waiter hurries off to get a coffee, we hear a loud crash of breaking crockery. The man stiffens slightly and reaches into his jacket, looks around, and realizes what has happened. He removes his hand and continues with he his... He removes mouth. his hand! Uh, <laughs> it's going to find it very hard to either drink or eat at this point, but... 
That's ah <laughs> oh, no, that's, yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't work. It just it makes me think of oh, there was a film ages ago that used to have that thing. A guy could remove his hand all the time. Uh, in a space. Like, oh, that yeah, that was it, Mister Igor. Um, as the waiter returns with his coffee, the man leans back in his chair and takes a sip of coffee with his one remaining hand off it. <laughs> <sighs> Being a professional killer isn't the easiest job in the world. However, it's one of the most highly paid. There are rules to my trade that aren't found in any book. These rules mostly are common sense. They cover such things as dealing with marks, meeting other hitmen, and lastly, <laughs> crossover killing. <laughs> Two people hired to kill the same person. Book, but they are <laughs> common sense, and yet they're also rules. I just meeting other hitmen sounds awfully like a yeah. hitman dating service. Yeah, it's the grind like to meet other hitmen. <laughs> Are you um, lonely? I would play a hitman dating sim. I really would. What was that? Agent forty-seven meet Agent forty-eight. Forty-nine. <laughs> so much in common. So would the hitman grinder just be called "I'd hit that"? Okay. Two. Um. Higher Yeah. It was rumoured that once a union was going to be formed to eliminate this problem, but nothing ever came of it, as the founding member was found dead in a little town just outside Detroit, Michigan. He was killed by a TV to the head. Right. Has anyone seen Ghost Blank? <laughs> no, unfortunately no. No. Yes, really but I don't remember it. Brilliant black comedy about a professional killer, and that would appear, because that happens in it, that this is in-world with that movie. Oh, jeez. He's doing like a, a Hitman Avengers so, <laughs> but does that? I think there were uh, that was before flat screens, so it was easier to pick up a yeah. You can cathode ray tube, someone. smash them, whatever. It was Dan Aykroyd. He gets brains. The point is, it's a metaphor. It's like that their generation um, eventually basically lost their identity to TV. There's a lot of like metaphors going on with there. It's not it's, just a TV on the head. <laughs> it is also more difficult to dro- to kill someone by dropping drugs on their head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The man takes another sip of his coffee and smiles to himself, thinking about a person being killed with a TV. These rules have helped me... (laughs) Whatever helps, I guess. Exactly. These rules have helped me still be number one after nearly 15 years in this business. The other reason has to be that I have an alter ego. (laughs) (laughs) How do you just drop that into your mental thought? It's not just enough to be a hitman. You have to live a double life. It's exactly. part of the deal. You can't, you know, you can't be openly a hitman. Obviously, no. You need an alter ego, like one of them. How are you doing? Yeah. Just, just, just read the the alter. Imagine, wait, before before Laura goes into this, if you're going to have an alter ego, you'd, you'd imagine someone not massively public facing, right? That's like a boring job, so that you can just sort of go into your office and pretty much disappear, and like no one's going to ask any questions about it, and and basically maybe you work from home or something like that, but you've got alibis. Not massively like public facing. Go for it, Laura. Well, I was just going to say that this guy, you know, he maybe for a while he tried, you know, people. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm the man. I'm <laughs> the man. Capital T, capital M. Yeah. Mm, not much of a conversation starter. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Fade two. Fade two interior. An arena night. In this crowded arena, there is a brightly lit stage, and on this brightly lit stage, there is a band, Son of the Devil. <laughs> the man's band. 
Two on the nose. Two on the nose. Is the man's band the support act to Son of the Devil? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Rage oh. Against the Machine cover band. <laughs> they, they are in the middle of a kick-ass show. We see that the man is playing a bass guitar. The crowd is going wild, and they rip into one another of their massive hits. My alter ego. Oh, sorry, I've got to do this in a Cockney voice. This is basically. Alter- he's in the Cockney version of Cradle of Filth. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, my alter ego, or secret identity, if you will, is as the bass player for one of the biggest rock bands in the world, Son of the Devil. This has been my perfect cover for my entire professional <laughs> career. Meticulous planning by our band's manager and the one person who can get me the contract, Uncle Nick, ensures that neither work interferes with the other. So that's like 15 years. Even Cradle of Filth aren't the biggest rock band in the world. But like, like, okay. But in 2007... Son of the Devil is doing a tour of North Korea. It was a different... <laughs> maybe 2007, rock was still huge. It's it's more sort of like... like maybe the man would find it more difficult these days. So... Just so I've got this right, this is a professional hitman who goes about wearing silk shirts and ties and a long, big leather jacket. Like a hitman. Whose alter ego is of a bass player of the biggest band in the world. His his alter ego is to be hugely famous and have everyone recognize his face everywhere he goes. Well, he's the bass player, so no one really cares about him. Yeah, he's basically (laughs) Adam Clayton for you, too. It's it's like one stage away from the drummer or something like that at this point. Cut to interior hotel restaurant day. However, the only downside is that the day after we play a blinding gig and some fucking smartass decides to move our appointment, then I keep Columbia in business. (laughs) 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 The amount of coffee I have to drink. I'm pretty sure the drugs do that for them. It doesn't really need to be the coffee. Man dances coffee and signals over a waiter. Yes, sir. Another coffee, please. End. Now, there was a lot more to this. Um, there was a, a, a bit where he was in London and he, he went across like he, the, the fastest cross-town tra- tra- travel ever on a Harley-Davidson, one of the most ill-suited vehicles for London traffic. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, there a, is there a bit where he gets a, a big notice from London Council that asks him to pay his congestion charge? Yeah, congestion fine. <laughs> and there's another point where he's having an interview with someone who wants him to do a hit for him. And the, this guy asks, hmm, black silk shirt with a maroon silk tie. But why the dark glasses? Anonymity, I say, suddenly taking him by surprise. That's my favorite bit. <laughs> oh, man, that just sounds like... So I can imagine there'll be a conversation during that as well that goes, have I not seen you somewhere before? Like, on the cover of this CD Can you sign the Son of the Devil CD? <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Also, I need someone killed. Also, yes. (laughs) I'm just not convinced, Adam Clayton. One talk over the line, sweet Jesus. One talk over the line. Sitting downtown in a railway station. One talk over the line. I'm waiting for the train that goes home, sweet Mary. Hoping that the train is on time. Sitting downtown in a railway station. 
the Reefer Madness one, I pretty much just picked out because I wanted to hear Lou read through this. This is like, I mean, it's partly, it's just like all of these things <laughs> over the past year that I thought, oh, Lou would really be, read that well. Um, are you able to just, just read this one? Sure. It's oh, just, the, it's just the opening monologue. Um, I'll read the, uh, the intro to this. Reefer Madness, originally made as Tell Your Children and sometimes titled as The Burning Question, Dope Addict, Doped Youth and Love Madness, is a 1936 American propaganda exploitation film revolving around the melodramatic events that ensue when high school students are lured by pushes to try marijuana from a hit and run incident to manslaughter, suicide, attempted rape and descent into madness due to marijuana addiction. Here is the opening monologue in your best scary instructional video voice. The motion picture you are about to witness may startle you. It would not have been possible otherwise to sufficiently emphasize the frightful toll of the new drug menace which is destroying the youth of America in alarmingly increasing numbers. Marijuana is that drug. A violent narcotic of unspeakable scourge. The real public enemy number one. Its first effect is sudden, violent, uncontrollable laughter. Then come dangerous hallucinations. Space expands. Time slows down. Almost stands still. Fixed ideas come next, conjuring up monstrous extravaganzas. Extravagances, sorry. It's making it sound quite appealing, actually. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I can't yeah, fancy some monstrous extravagances. Monstrous extravagances. If that's true, I've possibly been on marijuana for about half of this podcast. We've experienced marijuana like symptoms. Uh, fixed ideas come next, conjuring up monstrous extravagances, followed by emotional disturbances, the total inability to direct thoughts, the loss of all power to resist physical emotions, leading finally to acts of shocking violence, <laughs> ending often in incurable insanity. In picturing, in picturing its soul-destroying effects, no attempt was made to equivocate. The scenes and incidents, while fictionalized for the purpose of this story, are based upon actual research into the results of marijuana addiction. <laughs> if their stark reality will make you think, will make you aware that something must be done to wipe out this ghastly menace, then the picture will not have failed in its purpose. Because the dreaded marijuana may be reaching forth next for your sons or daughters. Or yours. Or yours. <gasps> Not mine. Epic fail on the part of Reefer Madness. It's yeah, more it's... popular than ever. I, I, I think it's almost worth it just to hear Lou say marijuana. marijuana. I, I, I kind of want to have that as a ringtone. <laughs> well, you're welcome, folks. I had a broken keyboard. I bought a broken keyboard. I bought a ski blanket. Then I bought a keyboard. Hello, hello, my ace man, my mellow. John Wayne ain't got nothing on my fringe game. Hello, I could take some pro wings, make them cool, sell those. The sneakerheads would be like, ah, uh, he got the Velcro. I'm gonna pop some tags. Only got twenty dollars in my pocket. I'm, I'm, I'm hunting, looking for a comma. This is fucking awesome. Ow. Right now, to finish. <laughs> off um anyone who needs to go or whose family has gotten back or uh who basically um is getting tired 
you're absolutely free to go. This last one is kind of a risky one. I don't know whether it'll work or not, whether it'll be funny, or whether it'll just be depressing and racist. <laughs> it's a gamble, basically. And if it's not if it's not funny, it won't be in the show. So well, having well. heard that, I kind of have to stay now. <laughs> so I'm Wait to see. show us on that one. To be fair, you didn't have me until the last bit, at which point I was entirely on board. <laughs> it's the, an article that has in the past reduced Sharon and I to a gibbering wrecks. It hurt so much. We were laughing so hard. It could just be that it appealed to us. And rereading it, that there is a slightly, there's an undercurrent, and we're not sure about it. Okay, right. It's the 10 most unintentionally hilarious toys exported by China. Now, the reason they're hilarious often comes down to mistranslation. But the reason they're really hilarious is because there's almost no circumstances where that translation makes sense. Like, they can't possibly have run that through a translator and gone, yep, that, that is exactly what I'm seeing here. And this is written by Sean Baby of uh, Cracked.com. So uh, all, all credit to him. Um, and uh, for also, for, thank you, Sean Baby, for basically making me laugh so hard. It actually, I, I got a bit delirious. So I'll, I'll start this one, and then I'm going to break pretty soon. Uh, what we have to do, because it's very visual, we have to describe what the... And we can all do this, I suppose, what the image is of this toy. And uh, there's a bunch of different toys. America is the land of opportunity. And for many immigrants, that means starting a business in my neighborhood of San Francisco's Mission District. That business is always a maze filled with garbage. You see them every 10 feet. Tiny stores offering an unlikely combination of gift, fashion, fish, and trade. Sun-bleached Doro, the exploder luggage, spills (laughs) from them into the sidewalk. And inside are narrow corridors filled with one-size-fits-all wedding dresses, bras for women who never plan on taking their shirt off and I heart San Francisco snow globes from back when it was called Pad Gaia. No product in the store is ever more than six inches from a tube of underwear of du- or a dusty neon Jesus clock. But if you've had all your shots and you're thin enough to navigate the visit one and head to the toy section, their toys are amazing. And if you're in the market for joy and magic, every single one of these is on the shelves now. So I'm going to pass over to Sharon for this one. Uh, number 10. Um, can, right, while Sharon's finding this, can you folks describe what a mzing truck is? Uh, it is an elephant driving a three-wheeled scooter. <laughs> is it a truck? It's, a, uh, it's... <laughs> it's just a three-wheeled scooter as far as I can tell. Yeah. Now, it should also be said the elephant is deliriously happy at this point <laughs> with two of the biggest ears I've possibly... The ears are almost bigger than his head and an expression that either says pure joy or I've gone insane, please God help me. To me, it says more, I'll see you in your nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I, can I distri- describe the sticker in the top right corner? Jesus, yes. <laughs> it, it appears to be two, um, two Chinese children, and it just says around it, the ideal paradise of the friends. It if, is? Anything, if anything sounds like a cult, that sounds like <laughs> Right, so this is what he has to say about the Zing truck. Okay. It's amusing, but with a V instead of a U. There are a number of elegant features to this children's favourite. Let's take a look at each of them. One, the moving bus makes the baby wonder the reason of moving. (laughs) (laughs) You know how hard I'm going to find this. This is so unfair. (laughs) While I admire the effort to trick babies, why would a baby wonder why an elephant is driving a bus? Yeah, it's weird to you and me, but it's quite possibly the most ordinary thing a baby sees in a day. Babies have no idea that... Got it. Right, move on. Who's the next one? Is it Lauren? Hang on, let me me just finish this bit. The reason for Amzing Truck can only be explained 
with the devil. <laughs> Maybe they do, and that's why they scream. <laughs> Lauren, take it. The pretty music aroused Baby to learn music. Forgive me if I'm skeptical of child psychology research done by a sweatshop's copywriter, but I don't think there's a link between musical aptitude and an elephant monster playing <laughs> camp town races with a car horn. <laughs> if this said pretty music caused baby work harder and meat more tender, then okay, you're the expert. Meat more tender. <laughs> One, again. The shining flashing light can arouse the seeing baby's interest. I think I'm starting to get it. If you shine a flashlight into a baby's face for 20 minutes a day, it will be a certified technician by the time it turns four. But wait, if setting a baby near beeps and lights turns him into a genius, then why are there so many stupid babies? And how did the last generation of under-stimulated idiot babies grow up to invent something as brilliant as a moving truck? Time travel? It's time travel, isn't it? Okay, who wants to do baby? Um, yeah, Laura's next, then. You do okay, baby. I'll, I'll talk about baby. <laughs> baby. Okay, so should we talk about the picture of it's the creepiest looking baby I've ever so seen? Horrible. It's, it's, it's a grin. It's just the grin is it's more scary than Chucky. It also oh. appears to, in the top right corner of the box, have like the other version where it's like the most old lady faced, upset, <laughs> angry child. <laughs> How do you want oh. to your house? Well, we're about to find out. <clears throat> in the baby world, a demonic face is the polite way to let everyone know that you've been replaced with a changeling. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this monstrosity. This doll was designed as a dream home for a murderer's ghost. <laughs> <laughs> My body will shaking when I'm giggling. I think Bibby's body will also be shaking when the scarabs inside it start their mating ritual. Oh, God! God! Uh, oh, man, can I do the next one since oh, yeah, that Lauren Jasmine one was terrifying? Sure. <laughs> okay, so this is called Wildlife Animals Handpick. Giant Demetrodon, neon pink parasaurol office. These are the sweetest farm animals I've ever seen. The best welcome gifts for the children. Many style a lot. Selected freely by you. Superior materials. Most new catania. Flashing enter. <laughs> This English came from one of Wildlife Animal's hand-picked competitors, a line of toys known only as Animal. Animal, and uh, by the way, these are all, all capital letters, which is why it's, you know, yelled. Animal promised many style a lot, only every single bag was the same. Orange elk and orange liger. Collect both, one! Elk and liger orange! <laughs> it also mentioned how most of the elks and ligers had new catinas, which seem more like a warning than a feature. And of course, flashing enter. This phrase is so common on Chinese toys that I'm almost positive it means, oh god, the factory laser bot is coming. <laughs> well, the thing I like about it very quickly is when Lauren was going through the text for the uh, most favorable grammar, all of those were bullet points. Yeah. It read like a paragraph, but on the packaging, they're bullet, bullet points. points. Yeah. Well, no. yeah, exactly. My favourite bullet point was superior materials most. <laughs> New container and flashing, flashing enter. enter. Happy Little Masters, which is, oddly, a sewing kit or a sewing machine yeah. 
a pink sewing machine with a mouse and a yes oh yes with yes, a, a mouse. foot pedal right. oh, sewing right. machines have foot pedals you press the pedal it makes the needle yes, go up but down. that clearly looks like a computer mouse yes, yes it does it's, I think Barbie's plugged it into the sewing machine because she thinks that's how you computer program <laughs> this is how uh, I design clothes of course exactly all that she needs is some puppies and she's got it made oh. so it is indeed a foot mouse rest thing with a pink sewing machine and there is a girl in the bottom corner who looks quite happy and interestingly enough as well on the packaging there appears to be what an image of a loudspeaker almost as if it indicates it might make some noise bizarrely so you know this happy little master sewing machine steam press playset was probably made by Chowtooth actual happy little masters <laughs> and at the entire time you're wondering who would set one of these machines for fun? Or at least you would have if wandering was allowed during work hours. <laughs> favorable, oh. favorable grammar. Instruction and effect. One, improve children's performing ability. Two, develop children's intelligence. Three, cultivate children's interest <laughs> and confidence. Stars of Kingdom Motor Appliance is a series of modern and simulated mini toys. Its function is very special. The children will know how to do help, do the housework, and from the habit of hard working. It's the best gift for mothers to send to the children. From now on, your children will keep house happily. <sighs> also, and a little balloon at the side, pretend spray button. Not actual spray button. This is not a toy for arousal amusement. This is a trick, and you better hope the children who receives his best gift speaks English as badly as a happy little master who wrote the copy on it. It says right on the box that it's designed to form the habit of hard working. Are you worried your children's delicate fingers might bleed too much during the 20 year lifespan as a Chinese factory employee? <laughs> Toughen them up as happy little masters. <laughs> I doubt the toy really works for promoting sewing enthusiasm, since it also claims to develop intelligence, confidence, and performing ability. But some asshole made a pretend sewing machine to train children how to do housework. Think of the despair of the sweatshop worker putting the toy together. It'd be like making somebody dig their own grave and then sit in it while they've got a grave digging guidebook for the next generation. Of- <laughs> oh, this is a little oh, dark. Okay, number nine. Beat Magnum True Hero, which is a robot that says flashing enter on it. And it says, Beat Magnum True Hero, the truth eho the eyes meet before. Met before. <laughs> Beat Magnum True Hero is a huge roller skating robot that comes with one accessory, a seven inch shield. Here's what's strange, though. There are five choking hazard warnings on the box. Five. Wait, did China read about our obesity rate and decide our children had snakes for faces? <laughs> Listen, parents, is if there is someone or something in your house capable of swallowing any part of Beat Magnum True Hero, <laughs> focus your attention on it. That it is that is almost certainly the future cause of death for your child. <laughs> this fashively fashionably colored robot has seven unique actions, and I know you're dying to hear them, but first I want you to brace yourself. They're kind of weird. One could sound a beautiful music. It might sound a beautiful music. It might not. Look, they didn't exactly hire China's top robotics team for this project. So if some beautiful music sounds, have a good time. Seven ninety nine buys you honesty, not craftsmanship. Oh God, I'm dying. Two. 
Two. Oh, says, number two is luffing. No one said this was a children's toy. Beat Magnum, true hero, is a sexual being and it will stop to luff. Three. Three. Luffing. The luffing will continue long into stage three. Oh, the, picture, the picture sells it there. Go ahead. Number four is go ahead. I think it's saying that if you want to luff too, it's not programmed to mind. It's not programmed to mind that one bit. Five, go ahead. Stage five, beat Magnum True Hero insists. Go ahead. Six, stage six, go ahead. Stage six, beat Magnum True Hero seriously cannot believe you're entering into a battle of wills with a masturbating robot. Are you waiting for it to change its mind? To simply ignore its prime directive? Go ahead. Stage seven, install three AA batteries. Oh, wow, you mean Beat Magnum True Hero did all that before I put in the batteries? Holy shit! <laughs> Quote, unquote, the true Eho the eyes met before loosely translates to the hand I know how for type with is luffing. <laughs> oh, Lou, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute honor. Thanks for having me, guys. I cool. got to run. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great evening and a great Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay, I think we're done. Thank you guys so very much for uh, for sticking with this. Thank you very, very much to Laura Kate Buzz. Do you want to uh, pimp one or all of your shows? Oh, God, yeah. So let's let's pimp my whole list of things. So you can find me writing about indie games at IndieHaven.com, which is a website I started a couple of years back. You can read my AAA news posts now on Destructoid.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Laura. Again on that. Yay. Well That's awesome. Thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Laura K Buzz, and then there's the big pile of podcasts I do. So you can Google these or iTunes them, and you'll find them. I'm sure. <laughs> it's the Indie Haven Podcast, Category Video Games, The Geek Night In, Oh No Video Games, Laura's Gaming Butts, The Podquisition. And a new one that's probably starting in the next month or so. That's seven. That will be seven. It's one for every day of the week. It will be. It will be one podcast every day of the week by about a month from now, hopefully. You know. And can I just say that having listened to the first what four episodes of the Podquisition, I'd like to think of it as the sexiest hour of podcasting I get each week <laughs> between you, Gavin, and Mister Jim Fucking Sterling. Son, it is just a joy in my ears. Oh, it's it's one it's fast becoming one of the best parts of my week getting to talk to those two lovely, lovely men. You heard from Lou Fernandez, who reads for Lou Reads the Internet. So if you've not heard this one before, I've interviewed him uh, a few. In fact, I think you and I, Laura, kind of got talking to each other because of that. Basically, Lou reads some of the worst, most horrible parts of the internet and some of the funniest and occasionally heartwarming ones. And uh, we basically get kind of a, a little cross-section of humanity every week. Some some of it dark and black and horrible and some of it just strange and funny. And It's a fascinating look into, like, recently he, did, he does a lot of ones about, like, reading forums from drug users and things. It's yeah. like very interesting getting to be like oh i never knew those were things mm. um and who else have we got on here uh, laurie <laughs> anything you'd like to pimp actually i do have something um <laughs> ca- what was it two months ago or so there was a game jam that was pitched the anthology jam mm-hmm. that uh, the idea is that uh it was a bunch of different people in small teams were making video games that were kind of the golden age of sci-fi where each one was an hour-long experience and they were going to be all released together uh in january i want to say january or february so coming soon 
Um, and one of the groups, it turns out, was, uh, was making a tabletop role-playing game and looked for other game designers to help out with it. So I jumped at the chance, and the game that I helped make is called Space Journey. It's going to be a part of the Anthologam coming out in the next couple of months. And it's all about doing like an improv tabletop Star Trek episode, and it should be really ridiculous. Derek, anything you'd like to pimp? Uh, you can catch me on the Console Ninjas podcast. You'll catch my writing in Frugal Gaming in probably a week or a couple of weeks' time. And you can catch me on Twitter on The New Del Boy. And if you want to hear my work on something fictional, check out The Cartographer's Handbook on YouTube or The New Century Podcast. It's an alternate history science fiction epic set just after the American Civil War. And if you'd like to show your appreciation for a year's worth of free entertainment, you can donate via PayPal or support my various ongoing projects on Patreon. Right, thank you guys <laughs> very, very much, and uh, yeah, we will see you next week. Awesome. What she know about rocking the wolf on your noggin? What she knowin' about wearing a fur fox skin? Whoa. I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm searching right through that luggage. One man's trash, that's another man's come up. Whoa. Thank your granddad for donating that plaid button up shirt. Cause right now I'm up in her skirt. I'm at the goodwill, you can find me in the I'm not, I'm not stuck on searching in the section. Your grandma, your auntie, your mama, your mammy. I'll take those flannel zebra jammies secondhand. I rock that motherfucker. The built-in onesie with the socks on that motherfucker. I hit the party and they stop in that motherfucker. They be like, oh, that Gucci, that's hella tight. I'm like, yo, that's $50 for a t-shirt. Limited edition, let's do some simple edition. $50 for a t-shirt, that's just some ignorant bitch. I call that getting swindled and pimped. I call that getting tricked by business. That shirt's hella dope. And having the same one as six other people in this club is a hella don't eat gang. Come take a look through my telescope. Trying to get girls from a brand, man, you hella won't. Man, you hella won't.